0: the book of Revelation is all about the revealing or the unveiling. And the question is of what? And it is of the person of Jesus Christ, what he sees in the church, and what the future of this world holds. Man, what important topics that we need to look at. So we're going to look at a message called the unveiling in the book of Revelation in chapter one. And it's today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844 48 Truth. That's 844 48 Truth. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Last week, as we did an introduction, I had put up on the screen, I didn't do it, my wife did the graphic, verses 1 through 8. And if you were here last week, we got to verse, do you remember? 1A. No, just kidding. We got got to verse 3. So with that in mind, let's just read from the beginning again, and we'll just come up to verse 4, and then we'll kick off from there. The revelation of Jesus Christ. See the word of revelation there? It's apocalypsis or apocalypse. It's where we get the English word apocalypse. It's apocalyptic literature. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ, which God gave him. Here we take it as God the Father, to show to his doulas or bondservants the things which must shortly take place. He sent and communicated it by his angel, to his bondservant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. He's going to see many things in this book. It's a visionary book in many ways, which he will record. He says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy or of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. It's been pointed out that we're blessed when we read any scripture, but this specific book does give a blessing for those, notice in verse three, who will read, those who will hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. You know, Jesus, when he was in the upper room, he said, you call me master and Lord, and you're right, that's what I am. If I, your master and Lord did this, and this, this is this example of washing your feet You ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should follow. Blessed are you if you do these things, not just hear these things, do these things. You know, the Christian life really does come down to whether or not you're going to actually do what you hear and what you read. It's probably the biggest challenge for all of us as Christians to know the word of God and actually want to do it. And you need to make up your mind, if you're going to be a strong Christian, you need to make up your mind ahead of time, before temptation comes knocking, before the great temptation to give up comes to your door. You have to make up your mind ahead of time like Daniel did in Daniel 1.8. He made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's delicacies. In the majesty of the book of Revelation, there are all kinds of allusions to the Old Testament. Many scholars have said there's no direct quotations, although there's very close quotations, which we'll talk about in a moment. But many allusions, not illusions with an I, but allusions with an A, alluded to. Here is how it breaks down, at least according to one source. 79 allusions from the book of Isaiah are found in Revelation. 53 from the book of Daniel. I think most people who hear about the book of Revelation think that most of the allusions are to Daniel, but there's actually more in Isaiah uh, in total. 48 from the book of Ezekiel, 43 from the Psalms, Exodus is referenced or alluded to 27 times, Jeremiah 22 times, Zechariah 15 times, Amos 9 times, and the book of Joel 8 times hundreds and hundreds allusions to Old Testament sources found in the book of Revelation so that the book is anchored in all kinds of scripture. And one of the uh, insights that we get is that this particular author had to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. What he records in this uh, section is incredible, just like all scripture, but it's just another evidence that the Bible is divine and not human in origin. This is an incredible testimony, as I mentioned, to its divine authorship. One author calls these allusions a rebirth of images from the Old Testament. And so this is the message that is given now through John to the churches. I mentioned to you in verse 1, the genre is apocalyptic based upon the word revelation. It is also a prophecy. Look at verse 3, the words of this prophecy. And it is also a letter There's only a few books in the New Testament that are not addressed to a specific audience and they are Matthew, Mark, and John. Outside of that, every other book, gospel, letter, revelation, is addressed to an individual or a church or a group of individuals or churches. The book of Revelation is no exception. John addresses the letter, verse 4, Revelation 1, to the seven churches that are in Asia, that is Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey. And he opens the letter by saying, grace to you. We had a prologue in the third person. Now John writes in the first person. He says, grace to you and peace from him who was, or who is and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Now you notice the word or the number seven twice in verse 4, seven churches in Asia, and the seven spirits who are before his throne. You'll see the number seven is prominent all over the book of Revelation, and in the, the numerology of the Bible or the numeric uh, evidences of Scripture, the number seven is obviously very prominent, and the number seven means perfection or completion. So that's the number seven. There were more than seven churches in Asia Minor, These seven churches will be named and we'll get into the details of how they appear to be on a postal circular route, like a messenger would carry a message to a group of individuals along this route. We'll talk about the road in a second. I'll show you a map in a second. But there were more than seven churches in Asia Minor. For example, the church of Colossae, we're studying Colossians on Sunday morning, is in Asia Minor. Troas is in Asia Minor. That's Acts 20. I think it's verse 5. You have, um, Her- I think it's, uh, the other one would be Heropolis, which, al- well, which is also mentioned in uh, Coloss- Colossians. And uh, so that's at least 10 churches in Asia Minor. So you might ask the question, well, why are these seven uh, pointed out? What's the significance of these seven? Some have said it's because they're along this postal route. Sean, if you go ahead and just throw it up on the screen. What? Uh, the seven churches of Revelation, there you have the map, and you have Pergamus, Thyatira, Sardis, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Ephesus, and Laodicea. If you look at the numbers, you can see the corresponding location. So the way that the churches are listed in Revelation seems to be a kind of a postal route. Almost imagine like an ancient mailman who had mail, how he would go about his route, or you may say, in this case, a FedEx driver or a UPS driver, and how he would go about the route. So this letter opens, verse 4, with grace to you and peace. You cannot have peace without grace, and that's a common opening of a New Testament letter. It comes from him who is and who was and who is to come. Now, this description in verse 4 would lead many to believe that this is a description of Jesus Christ. However, you're going to see in a breakdown in a moment that Jesus is addressed separately from this first address in verse 4. So that the bulk of commentators that I have read say that the first opening grace to you and peace is from God the Father, who is and who was and who is to come or as it could be rendered, who is to be. Um, This particular opening would hearken back to the divine name found in Exodus 3.14 when Moses asked God, whom shall I say sent me unto the people of Israel? And God says, I am who I am. You could render this him who is and who was and who will be. It speaks of the eternality of God that he always was. He always is, always was, and always will be. He has no beginning and no end. God is eternal. And so grace and peace, you could say, come from the triune God. Grace and peace, verse 4, from the seven spirits who are before his throne. If you've done any study of the book of Revelation, you know that there's a lot of differences of opinion about these seven spirits. Who are they? these seven spirits before the throne. Well, you'll notice as you skip ahead to verse 5, the third address comes from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. So you have what seems to be here, God the Father, uh, the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 4, and Jesus Christ. So a a greeting of grace and peace from the triune God. You might say, well, how is it that the Holy Spirit would be described as seven spirits? Well, remember, the number 7 is all over the book and the book is highly symbolic so it could be some scholars believe that this describes the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Isaiah namely Isaiah 11 you could look at verse 2 and there's there's different uh characteristics or modes or ways in which the spirit works and so some see a reference here to the book of Isaiah Uh, seven being the number of completion just would stand for the complete ministry of the Holy spirit. There are different uh, takes on this particular uh, section, but I think the consensus of scholarship does believe it's the Holy spirit. Take a look at revelation five for a second. This is an interesting text, revelation five, skip ahead for a second. John is going to see in the throne room of God the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also going to be described as a lamb in verse 6. And he says, I saw, Revelation 5, 6, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Now remember, the book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. Jesus is not literally a lamb, but he has a lamb-like ministry, referring to probably the imagery of the Exodus and the Passover lamb. The Lamb was standing as if slain, having seven horns. Now, Jesus doesn't literally have seven horns, but here it's a picture of power and it's perfection. A horn is a picture of power. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to get the Revelation DVD series by Pastor Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he speaks to his church in words of condemnation and correction. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four-horsemen of the apocalypse, and many other intriguing truths that expose God's plan for planet Earth, the unbelieving world, and his church. Join Michael Lance in a DVD series of this dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVD teaching The Mark of the Beast, The Seven Seals, and The New Heaven and New Earth. All available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Click on store. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. How is it that The Holy Spirit would be described as seven spirits. Well, remember, the number seven is all over the book and the book is highly symbolic. So it could be, some scholars believe that this describes the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit recorded in the book of Isaiah, namely Isaiah 11. We could look at verse two. And there's, there's different, uh, characteristics or modes or ways in which the Spirit works. And so some see a reference here to the book of Isaiah. Uh, Seven being the number of completion just would stand for the complete ministry of the Holy Spirit. There are different uh, takes on this particular uh, section, but I think the consensus of scholarship does believe it's the Holy Spirit. Take a look at Revelation 5 for a second. This is an interesting text. Revelation 5, skip ahead for a second. John is going to see in the throne room of God the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's also going to be described as a lamb in verse 6. And he says, I saw, Revelation 5, 6, between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain. Now, remember, the book of Revelation is filled with symbolism. Jesus is not literally a lamb, but he has a lamb-like ministry, referring to probably the imagery of the Exodus and the Passover lamb. The lamb was standing as if slain, having seven horns. Now, Jesus doesn't literally have seven horns, but here it's a picture of power and it's perfection. A horn is a picture of power. And seven eyes. Jesus doesn't literally have seven eyes, but it speaks of his omniscience, symbolism, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. You can see it once again how these symbols are not always easy to understand. But Jesus was, in his earthly ministry, anointed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus at his baptism. He went around by the power of the Holy Spirit doing good. And so, in some way, there is a connection between the triunity of God and these descriptors. The focus or the longest description is going to be on the person of Jesus Christ that's found in verse 5. But just uh, another note, in Isaiah 61, when Jesus read from the, uh, the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue at Nazareth, he said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. So the link between Jesus Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit could be seen here. This interpretation, by the way, that the seven spirits are the Holy Spirit, goes back to Victorinus in the late third century. And so uh, this we'll just take this for what the consensus of scholarship says, that it's a blessing from God the Father, the Spirit, and, verse 5, Revelation 1, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. See the word witness there? That's the Greek word martus where the word eventually came to be known as a martyr. A witness is just, generally speaking, someone who gives testimony to what they have seen. And so a first century witness or a witness in our day is someone who gives evidence to the reality of Christ in their lives. Um, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the earth. Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, and it is true that many, many Christians over the centuries have spilled their blood and been the ultimate martus, or the ultimate martyr. Jesus Christ, in fact, you could say was a martyr. He was killed on the cross because He claimed to be the Christ and indeed was the Christ. He was the faithful witness and many have followed in his train like Stephen and others. Jesus was faithful unto death. He says to the church, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. What I'm asking you to do, I myself have done. And so he's the faithful witness. Notice verse five, the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? Well, we looked at the term firstborn in Colossians 1, so I won't revisit that, but I'll just say to you that in Colossians 1.18, we have the same phraseology. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. What does that mean? It means that Jesus Christ is the first one to experience a resurrection glorified body. Now, other people in New Testament accounts were, uh, they did live again. Can you remember some of the resurrection uh, and some people say that the people were actually revived because they actually had to die again. But who was raised from the dead in the New Testament? The famous one is Lazarus, the widow's son at Nain, the 12-year-old little girl, right? So we know of at least three there. Jesus Christ, of course, was raised from the dead. But in the cases where he raised people from the dead in his earthly ministry, Lazarus would have to die again. He wasn't going to live forever The little girl at 12 was going to live her life and die at some point. So Jesus Christ is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he's the first one who has a glorified body. And of course, the Bible tells us he will never die again. Another way that this is uh, laid out in the New Testament is he is the first fruits. And this is found in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to show you this because it ties to an end time theme. 1 Corinthians 15, the most famous an in-depth chapter on the resurrection if you're interested in studying the resurrection go to 1 Corinthians 15 and spend a lot of time there because it's very rich but for our purposes tonight 1 Corinthians 15:20 says these words but now 1 Corinthians 15:20 Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep now if you were with us when we looked at the feast of first fruits and we looked at some of this imagery we saw that the first fruits imagery was when the first of the harvest came in, it guaranteed the rest of the harvest. So you had the first fruits of the harvest, and it meant, okay, now we're going to have the rest of the harvest is going to come in. And there was often an offering connected to the first fruits. In Jesus' case, since he is the first fruits of the resurrection, he promises a full harvest. He's the firstborn, the first one, if you will, in a glorified body, guaranteeing the rest of the harvest. And here it says... For since by a man that is Adam came death by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die so also in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15:23. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits after that those who are Christ when will they be resurrected at his coming. At the second coming of Jesus Christ we have two Major events. Of course, the timing of this is debated, but here's what is going to happen. There's going to be a resurrection of the dead. The dead in Christ will rise first. First Thessalonians four. You can look at verses 16 and following. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be the Lord, be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So, Christ is the risen Savior. And as he appears to John, the apostle, and John knew him very well, spent at least three and a half years with him in an earthly ministry, he appears as the risen Christ. He's the firstborn from the dead, back to Revelation 1, verse 5, guaranteeing, by the way, your resurrection. He said, if I, because I live, you will live also. He said, I am the resurrection and the life He who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. One pastor said, Jesus didn't say, I teach about the resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I I won't just tell you about it. I am it. I am the one that makes the way. He was raised, the book of Romans says, for our justification. So Jesus Christ is the martus, the faithful martyr, the firstborn of the dead, and he is, notice, the ruler of the kings of the earth, Revelation 1.5. We talked a little bit about the debate about the book the dating of the book of Revelation. There are some who believe that it is dated to the time of Nero, who committed suicide, I think, in 68 AD. There are others who hold it's in the reign of Domitian. Domitian was demanding emperor worship. And he claimed to be this great person and even to be a god. And notice in verse 5, it says that Jesus is the ruler of kings like Domitian or Nero or whoever you want to name. He is king of kings and lord of lords. There's no king that's going to be elevated above Christ. He is the ultimate king. He is your king and my king. And this one who rules heaven and earth, Verse 5, Revelation 1, is the one who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Now, when I mention the hundreds and hundreds of allusions to Old Testament um, images and verses, this is one. Jesus Christ loves us. He loves you and me. That is a present reality. He loves you right now. And he released us. If you have a New King James, I think it may have the idea of washing, but here I think the older manuscripts have the have it right when they say, Released us from our sins by his blood. What imagery does that remind you of? A release by the blood of the Lamb. It reminds you of what? The Exodus. Well, this is a marvelous picture indeed, and just one of many incredible examples of the Bible's interconnectedness, how Old Testament points to new and new back to the old. It's just incredible. So the book of Revelation has a lot of this. Of course, other books of the Bible do as well, and there's more to come. Well, friend, I'm Pastor Michael Lance. I'm very excited to let you know that Walk in Truth is not only on the radio and online. We are now doing podcasts. And you can go to your favorite podcast app. I'm talking about anything from iTunes to Spotify, Google Music to iHeartRadio. Open your favorite app and just search for Walk in Truth. It's free and we are there. And we're excited to be there. Now make sure you hit subscribe or follow on whatever app you use, and we appreciate you doing that it's a blessing now we were only able to do this because of God's grace and because of financial partners like you people who are saying, "Hey, I believe in walk in truth, and I want to partner with this ministry If you've given, we want to say a big thank you, keep praying for us, keep partnering and if you haven't yet and you've been praying about it, just we encourage you, man, if you can, come alongside us. We, we would love to get the word of God out there as many places as possible. Now, speaking of apps, you've heard me talk a lot about the activities of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, the church behind Walk in Truth. We have many events like Bible studies and breakfast church services, much, much more. We want to invite you to all of them. Now you can download the Living Truth app in your app store and you'll know exactly what's going on with the church fellowship behind Walk in Truth. The Living Truth app is free, so download it today. You'll know it's our app by the red logo with the pillars. Now tune in tomorrow as we'll conclude this week in Revelation chapter one, as we continue to see the unveiling, the revelation of our incredible and majestic Lord Jesus Christ. Look forward to it until then. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.